Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. All of those aspects are, are detailed in an investment committee memo that then give me, allow me to think about this pretty quickly uh, and make quick decisions. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all the fluffy stuff. We don't deal with that. We get straight to the real estate investing advice that moves your business forward. Uh, We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many other successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs and... We're doing the same thing today. How you doing, Rajan Shastri? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to have you on the show, my friend. Uh, a little bit about Rajan, and then he'll get into his background in more detail. He has over 12 years of experience in senior management roles across the spectrum of commercial real estate. Uh, he has, uh, prior to founding where he's at now, he's the founder of Akara Partners based in Chicago. He was the principal of Campus Acquisitions, which is a developer and operator of student housing, where he led the capitalization and monetization of over $1 billion in student housing assets in the United States, which includes 
the sale of a $627 million portfolio. Um, you can say hi to him and his team at acarapartners.com. That's spelled A-K-A-R-A partners.com. And uh, with that being said, Rajan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on right now? Sure. So um, I to go back to when I got into real estate, I, I essentially got into real estate right out of undergrad. Uh, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin and joined a firm, a large uh, a real estate services and investment firm in Chicago called Jones Lang LaSalle, um, and uh, have been in real estate ever since. I spent uh, uh, a good amount of time at Jones Lang LaSalle really learning the real estate uh, business from an institutional perspective, uh, and then uh, after spending some time there, had made a stop at another smaller boutique real estate investment firm prior to partnering up with uh, a firm to build and develop student housing across the country. Prior to starting Acara Partners, over the last seven years uh, prior to, I focused exclusively on student housing. Uh, we started purchasing student housing property and then decided to develop student housing property and ended up doing uh, business in about 22 markets around the country uh, and uh, had a few substantial exits uh, in, of a portfolio that we bought and, and developed in 2012 and 13. Uh, which led me to starting a car. My partner and I uh, had split in 2013, and I started a car partners. And uh, now our focus is we've pivoted into the multifamily apartment sector, and so we have uh, quite a few multifamily apartment developments going on. However, our, our the company's vision is to be uh, asset agnostic and be a, a real estate a dynamic real estate investment firm uh, first and uh, a sponsor and developer of deal second. So uh, that's how we're growing the firm. And um, yeah, we have, a, we have a quite a bit going on right now. You sure do. And you have had quite a bit going on over your career. I want to ask you um, a question that I was just speaking to a, a previous or a, a best ever listener, hopefully still best ever listener. I was going to say previous best ever guest, but he's actually a best ever listener. And he asked me... Um, my advice, uh, and I, I, I'd like to hear what you would say to this question. Uh, he's in college. He goes to NYU, and he's in the, the, on the real estate track. And he was wondering, should he start in a, uh, a larger firm, similar to what you did, or should he start in a smaller one? What, what would you say? It's a very good question. Um, and I have my bias because of how I started. However, uh, as new uh, People join my firm. I, I start thinking about things a little bit differently. So I started at a larger institutional firm, and I learned to do business from a very institutional perspective. I think what that means is, um, you know, I learned how to underwrite how institutional equity looks at projects. I think uh, because of that, it allowed me to um, to really bridge the um, bridge the gap between sponsor, developer, entrepreneurial real estate group, and institutional capital. So that's that's really where I, I think, and, and really the, the premise for starting a car partners and, and the vision for the company is to blur the lines between investment allocator in the real estate space and operator sponsor in the real estate space. So I think I'm able to do that today because I've sat in the institutional role early and then became an operator, developer, property manager, sponsor later through my career. 
That being said, I, I think that there's people who have done the reverse and started at a small entrepreneurial shop and then grown into an institutional shop and then decide where they want to be. I think um, having both is very important. So I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. We do have younger people at our organization that I think are getting a lot of great training being in an entrepreneurial organization because you get to wear a lot of hats and you get to see everything, every aspect of a deal from start, from the sourcing phase to the structuring and putting the deal together phase to whether it be development or redevelopment or some value add component to the exit strategy um, and, and the legal aspects of our business, which are very important, the leasing aspects of our business, which are really important. You get to see it all at a small entrepreneurial shop, whereas in an institutional shop where I started my career, it was very siloed. So you handed, you did your role and you handed it off to another group within the firm. And therefore, I think it was, even though you learned a lot, um, and hopefully if you're able to rotate throughout an institutional firm, you can start seeing the full spectrum of what you need to do to be a good real estate investor. Uh, being in an entrepreneurial sh- shop, I think, gets you there faster. When you you mentioned you were doing business in 22 markets across the country, what was your specific role uh, in in the team? Um, I'll, I'll start with that. Uh, we, so I, I, you know, being at a smaller at the time, we were, we were a small entrepreneurial company that was growing. Um, I ended up wearing a, a lot of hats again, everything from deal sourcing to striking a deal with a, a landowner to uh, putting the capital stack together on a development or investment, to being involved in the selection of a general contractor to, to develop the property, to dealing with municipal city issues, to, um, to then further um, uh, asset management and leasing, uh, all the way to the exit of the project. Um, and so I've, I've worn a lot of different hats in this business, and I think, again, you know, that... that uh, when you're in an entrepreneurial setting, you end up having to do, you know, wear a lot of different hats, um, including, um, you know, legal, which I, you know, emphasize is a pretty important part of, of what we do. I, I guess the 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 main question I have, and that is, you're based in Chicago, right? Correct. How, how do you become so familiar uh, with the players in each of those markets across the country, and and Build those relationships or identify those markets. I mean, take take the answer wherever you want to take it, but really, the the, the root of the question is: How do you do that across twenty two markets and have that level of involvement? It's a great question. So, I would say that because we're in a very specific niche of student housing, um, and and we're no longer doing a lot of student housing, but I, but at the time when we had built and bought throughout twenty two markets, we were in a very specific niche in where many of these markets all acted very similar from a supply-demand dynamic, from an age of property dynamic, from a demographic of the student body. So there are a lot of similarities across those markets, um, even to to the aspect of who the ownership of properties and land were. They usually in those markets were concentrated amongst three or four major players. Uh, which is unlike perhaps some of the larger markets. So, so it was, there were, there were so many similarities that allowed us to assume things as we got into markets and also navigate, uh, whether it be through, you know, city or municipal permitting and things like that, but also through just the local dynamics of doing business in a, in a new town. Um, so 
that was one of the reasons why we were able to spread ourselves throughout lots of different markets because um, ultimately uh, the underwriting, for instance, of a new project uh, in the student housing space at the time was very similar. It was, you know, who was um, where, where your demand is coming from with is, is, is correlated to the enrollment and enrollment growth, um, the age of property and, and supply uh, and demand dynamics are fairly similar. And again, so we, we spent a lot of, we certainly spent a lot of time understanding each market. Uh, we had uh, a pretty rigorous underwriting process of each market, but I think that the reason, the reason we were able to do that, uh, to do business in so many markets so fast was because we were in one property type looking, uh, at markets that were all very similar. And now let's, let's come back to the present, uh, with your company, Cara Partners, how many markets are you investing in now? So we currently are fairly concentrated in the city of Chicago today. Um, that is primary, primarily because when I started the firm two years ago and was building out the operations and the team, I wanted to stay local. Uh, I will say the, primar- the, the majority of our pursuits today are outside of Chicago. So now we are pursuing opportunities outside of Chicago um, and uh, and and you know a lot of most of the projects that we're looking at or pursuing outside of Chicago do have a a tilt towards multifamily apartments, but we're doing a lot of mixed use that also involves retail and hospitality, sometimes office or other asset or other property types as well. But there's usually a multifamily component to it. Um, so uh, again, I guess to to your previous question about how do you do business in, in multiple markets, I think um, the key is always finding you know finding information from the right people, um, finding the right connectors. I think I learned that fairly early in my career as we're is, as we're uh, navigating towards uh, through a lot of new markets, uh, and and we I try to implement those same the same philosophy uh, at Acara and 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 try to you know and and try to train the team to do the same. Yeah, and, and I, I think um, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is it's it's in addition to finding the right information from the right people, you know, you're asking the right questions to the right people once you've found them. So when when you find the right people, um, what type of questions are you asking? And again, we can be talking about any stage of the process. You can pick whichever stage, but you know. What, what type of questions do you ask whenever you're either evaluating a market or a deal specifically? Uh, so, you know, you start with trying to understand the landscape of, of the players in the market. Um, so who owns the land? You know, we're primarily urban focused uh, company. So we like urban cores, whether that be in a smaller city, but just being in a downtown walkable transit oriented place is, is really the focus of our firm. And so we want to understand who owns the land around certain areas. Um, that information is public knowledge, so we can go and find that out. But we want to be able to meet some of these people. Um, certainly in some of the smaller markets, we, there tend to be, again, like I mentioned, a couple of large players that tend to know uh, everything about a market. There's sometimes brokers, local brokers. Maybe they're not even affiliated with a larger uh, institutional brokerage house, but but they're just local and they tend to know everybody. We try to connect with, with those folks to be able to understand who owns uh, the property in the market um, and, and uh, if there's a specific property that we want to go after. Um, we, we tend to also um, contact with 
a local council, local uh, legal council that that also knows and has done business in that local market for a long period of time because there's not only nuances to the way that people do business and uh, in, in these markets, there's also nuances to local laws and, and certain municipalities with respect to zoning if we're going to do a development. So uh, we always want to make sure that we get local representation from a legal standpoint. Um, and then secondly, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we want to make sure we understand who the players are and try to meet as many of them as possible. Are you in meetings now where uh, you mentioned some of the, the, the team members who um, were you know, beginning their careers, are they presenting you information either from a, hey, we should be in this market or we should check out this deal? Uh, they are. They are. Um, a lot of deals, um, you know, we're, we're in a somewhat fortunate position, maybe because of the size of our shop, but we are getting a lot of inbound deal flow um, in markets that we've targeted, but a lot of inbound deal flow once, you know, we're introduced or maybe I already know the right connector within those markets. And so a lot of it comes through perhaps me on the deal sourcing side, and then the team goes through an analysis of the existing market, and, and they do present then to me their thoughts about a particular market, whether it be market data on, you know, if it's an apartment building we're looking to build, you know, a market study on the apartment market, um, or whether it be um, an analysis of, of zoning and how difficult it would be to change zoning or get something through an approval process. So, yeah, absolutely. What type of resources, when let's go with the multifamily um, example, and it's a market study on an apartment market, is it a report that is um, uh, printed from a certain service, or is it a compilation of many things? Um, And if it's a compilation, then what are the components within that that you must see when you're looking at it? Sure. Um, so I have we formalized the process here, even though we're a pretty small firm. I think my background, starting at a larger institution, I we 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 kind of do things at our small firm like a like a larger institution would. So we do have a formal investment committee process here, in where there is a formal investment committee memo that gets filled out. Um, certainly, as we're running fast on certain things, uh, sometimes everyone doesn't stick to the formalities. But for the most part, we like to meet on a fairly regular basis and, and discuss deals through an investment committee process. Uh, and that memo uh, and that presentation hits all of the pertinent topics. You know, what, it, what the, the, the deal and the market study and all of the, the pertinent information about the project as a whole and then the transaction as a whole. So the, the risk aspects of the transaction, how, how much you know, capital do we have to put up to tie the project up, how much time will it take for us to get through uh, certain hurdles, maybe they were approvals, or maybe it's hurdles like capitalization. But all of those aspects are are detailed in an investment committee memo that then give me allow me to think about this pretty quickly uh, and make quick decisions. Um, and so, um, so that's one. And and then it's how they get that information from a data perspective. You know, the great thing about the real estate business these days is that there's a lot of data sources now to get information. Whereas in the past, um, as you as you may know. You know, real estate in general has been um, not as transparent of a business. They've been um, slow to adopt technology. Um, it's been a very old school business um, uh, and, and very, again, very slow to implement some technologies that I think are very easy to implement. Now you're seeing data sources that can give you real-time information. You've got Google Earth that can 
take you through a city essentially and you can see exactly what's going on without actually jumping on a plane. So there's a lot of different sources now that you can use to help um, navigate both information as well as um, get an idea of what the landscape looks like before uh, entering a market. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I, you know, I tend to think about this in, in more general terms, you know, you know, don't lose sight of the fundamentals. I, you know, I think ultimately people in the real estate world can get, um, can get very excited about the ability to leverage assets with debt. Um, and, and debt can be a very good thing and it can be a very bad thing. Um, I think the key is don't lose sight of the fundamentals, you know, don't artificially, um, engineer, uh, or financially engineer a return. Uh, that hurdle that you're trying to meet with with leverage. So I think that's one of the the, the key advices that I think um, many people are are, uh, are are which is close to many people's hearts today if they've lived through the last recession. Um, I would say you know you know always assume that your pro forma you know that when you close on a project is wrong. Um, and and we try to be conservative in our assumptions because there's too many variables that could go wrong. And and it's it's proven to be successful for us and. You know, we've not done a lot of deals because of it, but I think it saved us uh, in in many instances. You know, I think I think like a lot of different asset, uh, in, or a lot of different investments, um, your going in basis always protects you. So be cognizant of what you're buying in at. Um, you know, another piece of advice is maybe you know everyone looks at backward-looking data, so. You know, as we all know, it it sometimes isn't a good predictor of what could happen in the future. So we try to follow trends and try to get data in places where um, probably more difficult to get, but but probably will predict better the trends of what's happening in a market. And and we've typically followed um, the tenants. I mean, ultimately, you know, real estate income is driven by the amount you can lease space for, whether that is through a apartment renter or a retail tenant or an office tenant or industrial tenant, et cetera. And so we try to follow the trends of what's happening in those, with, particularly with respect to our tenants and understanding their businesses better, um, which can help be a predictor of what uh, we are to expect from a rent perspective and, and from a, a location or movement of, of uh, space perspective. Um, yeah, I think those are the... You I gave think us those a lot, that, yeah. I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the, one thing that, the one other thing that I would say is that um, this new world of, of real estate, you know, technology hasn't yet, like I said, hasn't really been implemented in the way that other it's, it hasn't under other industries. But we can see today um, really disruptive technologies that are changing the way we think about real estate. So I think that's the exciting thing um, for maybe young people that are getting into the business today um, that are more uh, they're more um, in tune with what's happening with respect to technology. But we're seeing it. And I just want, really quickly, I just want to make sure I'm understanding when you said, always assume your performer is wrong. So I I always assume the broker's performer is wrong. But what do you, what, what do you mean by always assume your performer is wrong? So, so well, absolutely assume that the broker's performer is wrong. Um, what I mean by that is that, you know, your, your performer is based on a lot of assumptions. And, you know, a lot of your you know, assumptions are based on your experience in the business, which is great. But you will, it'll never... It'll never be 100% accurate, and so whether that's on, you know, rent growth assumptions or your your debt assumptions on and what rate of interest that you could expect, um, or it's you know how fast you're going to absorb from a leasing perspective, or how fast it will take you to retenant space in the case that you have some some you know turnover that's coming up 
uh, in the near future. Just always assume that it's not going to be accurate. In particular, you know, in our business, on the development side of our business, you know, the, even even much more to anticipate and assume with respect to your construction cost and what it's going to cost you for, um, you know, once you get in the ground, things change, you know, foundations could be more expensive or could change during the process. Um, municipal permitting fees could be different than you expected. So uh, you know, certainly taxes is a big variable out there that, you know, no one can really predict, um, certainly in Chicago. Uh, so so there's so many things in your pro forma that are assumptions. And, and my, my point by that is that just assume that it's not going to be exactly what you pro forma to be. So leave yourself some room, some wiggle room in, in, in your assumptions. Makes sense. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big reader. Um I do pick up the art of war from time to time when I'm going through a negotiation here and there. Um, I have read, you know, some of the interesting ones that pertain to our business. I met, read some of Malcolm Gladwell's books, um, Tipping Point and, and Allies. I thought that's really interesting. But I, like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge reader. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? Early in my career, I was fortunate um, to be able to travel uh, abroad for business and uh, was never able to do that in in my studies. And so uh, I learned a lot about um, other cultures and how people around the world do business. And what it's done, I think the biggest lesson is it's allowed me to think about issues without prejudice or biases that we all have here. Uh, once you get into a routine and you think about things the same way over and over again, it's difficult for you to think outside the box or think about things from a different perspective. It's allowed us to, quite frankly, do business with um, foreign groups, foreign companies. Best ever deal you've done? You know, I, it's all really fun. I think the most, ex, the best deal or the one, you know, I'm, I'm most excited about right now is that we're creating a, developing a project that's um, really a hospitality-oriented multifamily building that incorporates both, you know, services as well as, you know, trying to deliver the right experience for uh, the millennial renter. And so we've been thinking a lot about the psychology of the tenant, and it's just, it's been a lot of fun, just, you know, learning and, and trying to understand what, um how, you know, what the, the, this new generation of renters want. Best ever way you'd like to give back? I speak at schools. Um, you know, I, I went to University of Wisconsin for undergrad at Northwestern for grad school, and I speak at both uh, f- uh, every year on entrepreneurship and real estate. And um, I love doing that, and, and we'll continue to do that. Um, yeah, I think mentoring and, and, and speaking engagements with uh, people who are interested in real estate and entrepreneurship are, are exciting to me, and um, I love even... Um, hearing about you know new ventures and that uh, some of these students are creating in, in in the classroom, it's just amazing to see. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? It's very easy. I would say that prior to the last recession, it was very easy and almost required for you to assume that cap rates are going to fall uh, and um, compress to make your numbers work. Um, and so, or in said another way, your multiples on your income are going to grow on, on your exit. And that was, um, and, and that was probably the biggest lesson learned maybe for me and, and many people in the business is that, um, at some point, uh, you know, you got to look at the fundamentals and, and look at metrics that, 
that historical, you know, back to historical norms of how property and assets in general trade. What's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? I'd say my website, uh, www.acarapartners.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your career progression uh, from, you know, when, when you were working in the large institutional shop right out of school all the way to uh, today when, you know, founding, being a founder and CEO of Acara Partners based in Chicago and how you were working in 22 markets around the country doing everything from deal sourcing to, um, you know, to selecting a GC to asset management and leasing and then exiting. Just really interesting to hear your perspective on that and how uh, some of the, because you're in such a niche um, uh, type of, of business, there were some efficiencies because markets acted very similar once you knew what to look for. And of course, there are outliers along the way, but it, it's, it's really interesting to hear that, um, as well as uh, your approach whenever you look at investments now at Acara Partners and the formal investment committee that you've got um, set up from, uh, even though you know it's, it's a large institutional style of approach, um, taking that approach from your previous experience and applying it to your, your company now. Um, and, and then obviously the, um, the cautionary tales of, of cap rates um, and at some point in time, you know, making sure that we're uh, looking at the fundamentals um, and, and, anal- and, and doing an analysis based on that. So thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your advice and I hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Take care. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever.